Welcome to Season 1, Episode 5 of the Echo Corpus Christi Podcast, the podcast featuring Corpus Christi's creators, makers, doers, and builders. Randy Carroll is our guest on today's episode. Seven years ago, Randy and her husband Stephen packed up their one-year-old son and moved to the land of Borat. Stephen became a missionary and teacher in Kazakhstan, and Randy was busy with their little boy. However, a need for community brought them home to Corpus Christi, where Randy was rescued from the riptide of postpartum depression and where she has grown their coffee roasting business, Driftwood Coffee, from Stephen's expert roasting in a popcorn machine to a soon-to-be-open storefront. Randy has a deep emotional attachment to the community Corpus Christi provides her, and she discusses the personal community side of Corpus, which is not often celebrated but is immensely valuable. Randy and I visited in her current roastery, and you'll hear the roaster heating up in the background. The roastery doubles as the family garage, or perhaps it's the garage that doubles as the roastery. Either way, for a coffee lover with a sensitive nose, it was coffee heaven. Thanks for listening. Let's visit with Randy. Well, Randy Carroll, welcome to the Echo Corpus Christi podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, we're really excited to talk to you today. Thank you for letting us come into your roastery here at your house. And we're going to get more into that here in a little bit. But why don't you go ahead and, and talk a little bit about your Corpus history? Are you a Corpus native or did you move here? Yeah. Yeah. So I moved here with my family when I was three years old. So this is basically the only home I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, we moved away for a short time to San Antonio, middle school years, came back and I finished high school here. So I'm a Carol Tiger 2005 graduate and then moved away a couple more years to go to UT Austin and came back and finished my college degree here at Annam Corpus Christi. So So what did you do after you finished college? After I finished college, I got married right away. Okay. We just (laughs) jumped in (laughs) and for better or for worse. And we met three months before Stephen was actually going to be going over to Hawaii as a missionary okay. for a year. And so it was kind of one of those, let's decide to start dating mm-hmm. or let's just be friends and forget we ever met each other. Okay. And we knew, so it kind of sped <laughs> things up a little bit. Sure. And um, so, yeah, we, I, we got married, started a family, started mm-hmm. immediately applying for um, ministry positions to be overseas career missionaries. And then decided we wanted to have a baby too we just mm-hmm. we don't have we don't do anything you know the normal pace right no half hearted effort here yeah everything <laughs> is on full speed with sure. us for some reason so did Stephen end up going to Hawaii he did he went okay. to Hawaii for two semesters um, starting up a, a BSM mm-hmm. like a co- Baptist student ministry right. there um, on the college there on the community college in Maui mm-hmm. so we we spent a lot of time on the phone. I cost him a lot of money. Well, bless his heart for having to go do that in Hawaii. I'm sorry. That I know, right? He that suffered. sounds like a real roughing it kind of yes, job. Yes, he suffered. Sure. And, but, you know, he really did suffer because he mm-hmm. was away from right. his life. That's true. So. That's true, for sure. <laughs> so when he came back, did y'all start a family right away or did y'all... Yeah, okay. he came back and we got married um, that following November or October. Mm-hmm. So he proposed a couple months after he got back and we were engaged for about six months and um, we got married and then 
within the next couple of years, we, we had Oliver, okay. our oldest, who's now seven. And did you, in that period of time, do overseas missions, or did y'all decide to stay here in Corpus? Yeah, we, we actually um, started the application process, and it took a couple of years to get through, and so we took our one-year-old, Oliver, at the time, overseas, and thought we were going to be there long-term, mm-hmm. and life had other plans. <laughs> it so, does that sometimes, right? Yes, Corpus has that way mm-hmm. of bringing us all back, so... We're back here, and um, that's when coffee kind of started. Okay. So when did y'all come back? We came back um, 2013, because Nora was born 2014. Okay. Um, So found out I was pregnant while we were over there, Mm -hmm. and um, that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back of feeling like we needed community again. You bet. Um, And uh, came back, and... um, 2013. Okay. Where was there? Uh, Kazakhstan. Okay. So southern Kazakhstan near the Uzbekistan border. Wow. Um, They were, uh, Stephen was a teacher before we left, and so he continued his teaching there um, in a village, an Uzbek village. So we were were learning Russian Mm -hmm. and Kazakh and Uzbek. We were learning three languages. Oh, my word. (laughs) And it snows most of the year, Mm -hmm. a lot of the year there. So, um living in a big, big city, and then Stephen would commute to the village and teach English, and okay. they were very excited to host us and have us, and um, just amazing people with big hospitality hearts. We learned a lot about hospitality there. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. For sure. Well, that, that served you well, coming over, back over to Corpus and, and in the business that we'll discuss here in a little bit. So when you got back, and when you were deciding to leave Kazakhstan, did mm-hmm. John know you wanted to come back to Corpus? Or was it, let's just get back to Texas or the States or whatever yeah, y'all Yeah, it was thinking? definitely back to Corpus. Okay. It was back to community. Um, we uh, really just needed, as a new cu- newly married couple and mm-hmm. a new parents, to be supported um, and to find find ourselves. We, we realized we really never, you know, knew who we were as parents or mm-hmm. as, as a married couple. And... We knew as individuals before we got married that we wanted to be missionaries. But then when you get married and when you become parents, you become different people. You know, you as a unit are totally different than you as an individual. So, um, and me struggling with postpartum depression that was undiagnosed for two years Mm. was another part of it. And um, Stephen was doing awesome and thriving and um, just really holding it together and my rock. but I just really struggled to get out into the community um, I, with a baby in the mm-hmm. snow and learn language. And, sure. um, and our team situation was really, you know, the people who were there were really struggling too. So it was just kind of a recipe for come mm-hmm. back home and, and really get support. You bet. So we were super excited to be back home with our community. So if you don't mind me prying a little bit, yeah. what kind of support did you find to be really helpful with postpartum? Um, so I was pregnant with Nora, um, when I kind of officially got diagnosed when I got back and, um, not wanting to go the medication route Mm -hmm. right away. I started, um, everything else they say to do exercise every day, uh, uh, vitamins and Mm -hmm. eating right and, uh, counseling, um, definitely in prayer and in, you know, Bible studies, um, filling my mind with what's true and what's good and beautiful and. Um, and those things were super helpful, but after she was born and I had that dip of hormones right. again, 
after the three months, the hormones were supposed to kind of let up and mm -hmm. no more baby blues, and they didn't. I said, <laughs> okay, it's time for medication. Yeah. And um, so, and I just had a lot of support with um, just family mm -hmm. who have people who have been there, counselors who have, um, you know, this is not their first rodeo. Right. Postpartum depression is not is not a a rare thing. Mm -hmm. Everybody has been there before and knew how to say the right things at the right time and comfort me and hold my hand and walk me through it and awesome. help me um, take the next step in faith. And um, so, yeah, just the right people. The right well, Corpus has a tendency to do that. I think we have, we here in Corpus do have that kind of a community where when someone needs a kind of a pick me up, mm -hmm. we'll do what we can to rally around them. Yeah, definitely. I, I had a lot of a lot of rallying. I mean, my my church family um, mm -hmm. pitched in to support my counseling and pay for my counseling because when we got back, we didn't right. have a job. Totally new career change, and you know, watching Oliver when I needed to go, mm -hmm. and um, and yeah, just pointing me to resources. Um, everybody was just, and then starting starting a mops group. Mops was a huge sure, instrumental awesome. part of meeting other moms and mm -hmm. feeling not alone. The isolation was a big thing. Absolutely in, true. In Kazakhstan, coming home and not feeling isolated was a game changer for me. I've talked to some other moms who have experienced similar situations, and that's one of the common threads. Once they are able to remove themselves from isolation and get into a good community, they find that that, along with all of the other treatments that go into working with postpartum, they find that removing isolation and getting into a community is a major factor in their ability to to work through the postpartum. Yeah, definitely. And just feeling like you have someone to call and mm -hmm. someone to commiserate with. Yeah, to know you're not alone, right? To yep. know you're not alone. And yep. to know it's okay. These are these yeah, kinds of things totally happen normal. and it's not it's not a bad mom thing, it's not right. a bad dad thing, it's not that the kid has done something. It, it is a, a, a I don't know, I'm not a psychologist so I probably shouldn't diagnose anything, but yeah. it's just a trigger that happens to some moms and it can, mm -hmm. I, I know that there are some that have many kids and then on the last one right. they're supposed to part or they have it on the first one but not on the others and yeah. it's it's impossible to predict it seems like but man getting into a good community really seems to help yeah definitely so how did you get from uh, once you got back to corpus get from a community helping you work through postpartum into mm -hmm. a community supporting driftwood coffee well um it, it really went hand in hand um holly with fed by bread who mm -hmm. um you might interview in the i hope future. so yes she uh she had Fed by Bread going strong and she wanted to make some breakfast boxes with okay. some freshly roasted coffee and Stephen was still doing his roasting coffee in a popcorn popper for fun for okay. her own home. It was kind of a hobby. Um, and she said, I know you roast coffee for your family, but mm -hmm. can you make some bags of it for our little breakfast boxes? And we were like, well, sure, I guess. And so we got on Vistaprint that night mm -hmm. and made cards and... Um, you know, a logo and came up with a name and printed bags and stamps and just threw it all together in one night, really. And, um, wow. Yeah. And it was, wow. <laughs> it was just kind of spontaneous. That's and, fantastic. And, you know, we'd all, we, we had talked about mm -hmm. like, it was a pipe dream of this being something that was more than a hobby. Um, but I especially was like, didn't even want to dream mm -hmm. about it verbally because, Stephen has a way of going out and buying all the toys. <laughs> I, I can appreciate he, that. Yeah, I sympathize. You know that. Yeah, yes. for sure. So, um, so I would always just kind of like hold him back, mm -hmm. and um, but we actually had a buyer 
you know, someone who's right. willing to pay us money for it. So I said, sure, mm-hmm. let's let's do it. Not too much spending. And mm-hmm. we bought a three hundred dollar mm-hmm. roaster. That was like our first investment, and it was that was scary for mm-hmm. me to spend three hundred dollars on something that was not necessary at a time where we were pregnant with our second kid and we didn't have a plan for our careers. Mm-hmm. But it was really really exciting. And yeah. as soon as we started like talking with people who were enjoying our coffee at home. And I started delivering and getting out, again, getting out of my isolation, mm-hmm. getting out of my comfort zone, um, loading Ollie in the in the uh, you know car seat and going right. to deliveries. Um, because those boxes turned into subscribers, okay. people who bought coffee on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And I would deliver it to them once a month or twice a month. And, um, and those became relationships that we still have today. Um, people who enjoy our coffee. And I've always loved small business. I've always loved working with the pe- with people. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, it fit my personality. Um, and it I, I love serving people with something that they're enjoying. And so um, connecting them to a product that they enjoy. So that, that was where it all started. It was just for that. So I think I need to know a little bit more about the roasting in a popcorn mm-hmm. popper. Yes. <laughs> How on earth does that work? Yeah. It, well... <laughs> I don't know exactly other than it just heats it up and swirls it around okay. at the right temperature. Um, and that's kind of what's happening on the roaster here in our okay. roastery. Um, we have a lot more control over the heat and the airflow mm-hmm. um, and even the speed at which it circulates while it's war- warming up. But okay. I mean, coffee comes to us, is imported to us in raw form okay. um, and someone's got to roast it. Um, so uh, it's just a cooking process, really. When you buy specialty beans, though, that are the cream of the crop, literally, okay. you want to um, roast it with a lot of care and with a lot of precision. And so you don't want to throw expensive specialty beans mm-hmm. into a popcorn popper. Popcorn popper. <laughs> um, so, sure, I can appreciate but that. But we did mm-hmm. because we didn't know what we were doing, and it was really fun, and it right. was a learning process. So. Um, we upgraded to um, a Be More roaster, which okay. is like a little electric roaster. Then we upgraded to an air roaster, which um, is like a giant popcorn popper. Okay. It has a little bit more control over the heat, mm-hmm. uh, but it's pre-programmed okay. to do and what you want want it to do. And then, and then we upgraded to our drum roaster, um, which is has more um, even more control over what you can do um, to the beans and to get the natural flavors of the beans out. So where do you source your beans? Um, we have an importer um, that we work closely with um, and have built a relationship with over time. They have close relationships with the producers and they provide us with all the information about um, the producers in the other countries and everything from you know when they started to who owns it to what's going on in their personal lives. Wow. So we want to be as close to the producers we possibly can, mm-hmm. but right now at our size, having an importer is really um, helpful. Um, so we're working on our first trip to Origin that we want to do this year, where we go okay. with our importer and they help us, you know, meet face to face with the producers and cup the coffee, which is a formal way of tasting coffee and grading its quality, and just you know get more closer and closer to that that relationship is kind of our goal. Um, and then from there, figuring out what's best for them, mm-hmm. what they are, what their preferences, and I think it's different in each country. Um, what their preference is as far as how they sell their coffee. So, so is coffee, uh, are the beans 
somewhat regional in their flavoring like you would mm -hmm. find with wine? Yes, mm -hmm. it is. Sure. What makes for a really good, robust coffee bean? Um, now, when you say robust, what do you Full mean? Full flavor, strong flavor. Full flavor, yeah. strong flavor. Um, well, flavor is going to change in its profile. Okay. So it's going to go anywhere from like a chocolatey flavor to fruity flavor, citrus. You're going to get all those different flavor notes. So it's kind of a subjective, like, what okay. do you... What do you like? But Arabica is the kind of bean, and there's all different kinds of varietals within the Arabica bean. Okay. You definitely want to go Arabica and not Robusta. From there, there's all different kinds of varietals that change the different flavors. So it's kind of like um, apples. You mm -hmm. know, you go to the store, and they're all apples. Right. But they're different varieties of apples um, that are going to have different flavors. You know, like a green apple is going to be more sour. The pink apples are going to be sweeter. Mm -hmm. Red apples have a specific kind of flavor to them. So um, that's the same with coffee beans. So it really is just depends on what you what you like in coffee. And then your brewing it is mm -hmm. going to change it a lot. Okay. So your ratio of water to bean, how fine you grind it, and then what brew method you use and whether you filter filter it or not. So when you're when you're thinking about beans themselves, are you looking for a particular varietal, or are you thinking, well, I want to try this varietal from this area and then I'm going to go get my importer to bring one in from a different area so that we can have different flavor profiles. Yeah, we definitely like variety in our um, offerings um, and a lot of it is my husband Stephen the roaster talking with our, the guy we have a relationship with um, and saying, hey, what, do, what, what are you enjoying right mm -hmm. now? What's, what's a fresh crop right now? Um, and he has, he has like the inside scoop okay. on everything. Also, we just read the profiles before we do any buying and read about um, the people. Like, for example, we had a, a, an origin, um, an offering that was from the origin of Nicaragua that was all female producers. And wow. they were working to, um, because they were specialty beans, they were paid a premium mm -hmm. because they were graded higher than regular beans. And the importers working with them to help them learn some new techniques of um, growing so that they can get more money for their beans and they're, and then the women are taking this extra money to um, buy back their land that okay. is actually theirs. But it's hard to own land as a woman there, apparently. Didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So as soon as we hear stories like that, we that's what we really gravitate towards is the story because all specialty coffee is going to be delicious. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's really not a bad, there's not a bad coffee. There's some that's harder to push, you know, right. that people are, are more hesitant, especially in South Texas, to, mm -hmm. to drink. We definitely sell, like, our Brazil, um, South America, Central America a lot faster than our more, um, like, our African coffees, Ethiopia, and um, they're fruitier and okay. takes kind of some more, um, your palate has to get used to it, but we, we still, we, we buy it all and just experiment. But the story is what really is what we really love because we want people to enjoy their not just the flavor of their coffee, but feel a connection with and mm -hmm. a community inside of their with their producer. So how do you get the story out about the producer to your customers? Mm -hmm. Well, actually, mostly through Instagram. Okay, um, that's our main place where we communicate with our customers. Um, our website has information too um, when people buy off our website. That's why we're really excited about our storefront because we're going to be able to have post um, cuppings, which mm -hmm. is a formal tasting, 
um, of coffee and uh, have face-to-face conversations with people in the community and say, hey, like, this is the story. This is why we're passionate about it. Um, Here's some pictures of um, when we last went to Guatemala Mm -hmm. and the people we met and um, to help people um, enjoy their their purchase and really... um, understand their purchasing power and and what it can do in the world and feel a partnership with people um, they're doing the hard work of producing the coffee mm-hmm. we're providing a marketplace and we we love to be able to bridge that gap that can sometimes be um, be there because of our consumer mentality with coffee right. it's just kind of used as a caffeine fix but there's so much more to it you know? true that's true that's yeah. very true I, I would speak my personal coffee experience. I'm somewhere above just straight up Folgers. Yeah. And somewhere below having a refined enough palate to really appreciate a lot of different flavors. Mm-hmm. But I'm always willing to try. And yeah. I feel like we, we have a community in Corpus that is always interested in trying. Yes. And and so you brought up the storefront. Tell me more about that. When is Where is it going to be? When is it going to yeah. be open? And can we expect it to be like a coffee shop like we would go into? Right. I don't want to mention various names, but coffee shop yeah or is it going to be more of a retail environment where we would come in and buy a bag of beans versus a cup yeah it's more of a retail environment we don't want to be a coffee shop because we have coffee shops as our wholesale customers right down the street actually we're on alameda near airline and one of our uh, closest partners is coffee waves alameda and they have done such an amazing job of creating an environment that people feel comfortable in, mm-hmm. that people can have great meetings in, that people can come in and, um, you know, enjoy their gelato and enjoy. I mean, the baristas are such an awesome team of young people that are so loving and fun. And so um, we don't want to be that because we feel like that's being done really well already. We're going to be more of an educate place for education okay, um, and a place for people to buy their beans and also buy some equipment. Um, that they they need and also just manufacture our coffee in a bigger space as you can see in our garage we've outgrown we've outgrown <laughs> our garage because i should say that the roastery is also the carroll family garage yes uh, it is exceptionally clean oh, let me go ahead and yes. clarify that too oh, it's yeah. not your typical garage it does have a massive piece of what we call it brewing equipment this roasting is, uh, equipment roasting okay meat. roasting equipment uh, and it goes up in a in a exhaust pipe through the roof. It's very official looking, but I imagine it'll be nice to. Will all of this yes. in the garage move yes. to the storefront? Okay, so it's you'll be able moving. to do all this over there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we converted our garage a couple years back um, mm-hmm. to be a, an official manufacturing facility. Okay. That was another big step. Mm-hmm. That was scary. I would imagine. So um, for me, um, Stephen's never scared. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have great. both in a business, yes, right? You have to have the dreamers and the balancer. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. So, um, but we're ready to move out. It's time. Okay. It's, we're ready to, to bring it to Corpus. And um, so once a week we'll be open okay. um, for tastings and for people to come purchase. And so, we're going to have unofficial hours where we're open when we're roasting where people can pop in and okay. grab their subscription bag or whatever. Will you have a, a setup in there where people can watch the roasting process? Mm-hmm. Is it something that is a roasting process short enough where someone can mm-hmm. come in and see? I know it's not like watching the tortilla ladies at uh, Chewy's or something, mm-hmm. but is it a process that people can watch from beginning to end without a five-hour yeah. commitment? Yeah, it's just a 20-minute process. Okay. So they can come in and, and look over and be, be shown the process and... And we're gonna, you know, try that out and see if it's, 
you know, too loud, too smelly, you know, how people feel about it first. But we're definitely going to be roasting in there. It's mm -hmm. towards the back is the production area. Okay. And the front is where people are going to be able to enjoy the merch shelf and the um, tasting table and mm -hmm. a little little couch to sit and taste table at, taste coffee with at. And, um, so, yeah. So what is a cupping? A cupping is, it's a, almost like a ceremony. Okay. Um, some people have like a mystical way that they mm -hmm. view it, which is really interesting to me. And I haven't, I haven't met with those people yet, but I can't <laughs> wait to. Um, yes. What we know is just the formal process of, you know, from start to finish, you're supposed to grind it at a certain level, a certain amount of grams of beans, put it in a certain kind of cup, and it needs to be ground within the certain amount of time that you pour the water in and okay. brew the coffee. And it basically is a way to take out all the variables that happen when you brew coffee, make it uniform every time so that you are able to actually taste any sort of roasting defect mm -hmm. or any bean defect that might be there. So it's okay. quality control, um, but it also serves to help people you know, get their palate mm -hmm. acclimated to and, and their verbal skills. Sometimes you taste something that you have no idea how to put it into words. <laughs> like I did earlier. Yes, yes, yes. exactly. And it is, it's a process, it's a mm -hmm. learning process and it's really fun. It's really fun because you get to slurp really loud. <laughs> You're supposed to actually aspirate okay. the coffee into your mouth and mm -hmm. let it spray your tongue and so that all the coffee hits it. all yeah. the different parts of your mouth at the same time. I would so be very good at that. Oh, really? Yeah, I'd be so? very, very good at that. Well, I'm going to take you up on that because the winner of the slurping contest gets a bag of beans to take home. Oh, wow. So that's really fun, too. Um, adds an element of playfulness. and. I've always been really good at loud eating. At least my mother tells me that. So Good. Well, you'll be great at this. <laughs> Perfect. And you'll get some free coffee. Uh, uh, that's a great challenge for sure. Yeah. So talk about roasting a little bit when it comes to the process itself. You said mm -hmm. it takes about 20 minutes or so, but what... Mm -hmm. What goes into it? What are the inputs other than beans? And what do you expect in the output? So we don't put any sort of syrups in our roasting process. Okay. That's something a lot of people do to flavor their coffee. Mm -hmm. But we, we want to stay as natural as possible and also as close to the hard work of the producer as possible and try to bring out what they've already done in the roasting process and ex display that mm -hmm. and allow that to speak for itself. Um, so we don't put anything in it as far as that's concerned, but um, the process of roasting is basically measuring uh, the heat okay. and controlling the heat and controlling the airflow and controlling the speed of the drum. So a roaster is just like a giant spinning gas oven. Okay. Um, it heats up the, the coffee beans and um, there's something called a roast curve that's really fun to learn about and watch. Mm -hmm. um, my husband's the roaster and the scientist, so he <laughs> he takes over that area. Okay. At one point, I tried to learn, and mm -hmm. uh, I gave that up quickly. I was like, I'm going to stick with what I'm what I love, which is not scientific, things. <laughs> not the math, then, the yes, numbers. That's right. So, um, but so he could explain it a lot better. But I know the basics of of how it all goes, mm -hmm. and. Um, at a certain point, it cracks. The bean will crack okay. and release um, oils and gases. And um, so your raw bean is actually denser and smaller than your roasted bean because really? of how it breaks open. Okay. If you think of like a popcorn kernel mm -hmm. and how it transforms with heat. Um, and then it, uh, it'll crack again 
and that means it's even darker. It's been roasted even further and darker. Okay. So that's when you start to get into you know your really dark roasts. Um, and so there's all different places you can stop the roast along okay. the way, and and bring it to different places um, and bring out different flavors. And the darker you go, you know, the more roasted, smoky flavors you get, and you kind of are starting to mask some of those fruitier other nutty notes, mm -hmm. things that are other notes that are going to come out when you brew it. So when we see things on a shelf or in a shop that mm -hmm. say like French roast or dark roast, yeah. is that what you're referring to? Yep, okay. exactly. Mm -hmm. And a blonde roast is stopped earlier in the process with yep. less roasting? Okay. Mm -hmm. yep. Do we then, should we then expect a blonde roast to have a um, more fruity or more of a different, uh, you know, to me a, a dark roast just tastes like, I'll just call it hardcore coffee. Yeah. Right. Just this is coffee without a lot of yes. extra flavors, maybe some acid flavor to it or something, but just right. a heavy flavor. And then a light roast. Do we expect the light roast then to have more of the mm -hmm. the flavor profile that the producers have worked so hard to put into yeah, the game? Yeah, I think okay. so. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of it's personal preference. Mm -hmm. You know, how much of that roasted flavor you like in there. You know, you meet people who like a steak with just plain and people who like to pour A1 sauce all over it and right. dip it in ketchup and... You know, it's just... I'm it's, not sure that I talked to those people, but I understand. <laughs> yeah, <saying>. personal preference. <laughs> and then, you know, that you add the smoke. And, right. You know, you smoke a brisket, mm -hmm. and it brings out it's smoky, and some people love that. Right. And so it's just all, all in my opinion, what, what you want out of a coffee. But, yeah, the lighter it is, the more you're going to taste. But you also, there's a fine line, because you want it to get developed. You want okay. the bean to not just be roasted on the outside, and the inside be green. Because when it's underdeveloped, it's you're gonna t it's gonna taste like plants. Okay. Um, and it's gonna be kind of acidic, and so there's definitely a lot of work the roaster has to do mm -hmm. to get it fully roasted all the way through. How do you know in the process when all of the beans in the roaster are fully developed? Well, I'm assuming by the time that they're French roast, mm -hmm. they're all done, so to speak. But right. when you're trying to hit those earlier roasting stages, how do you know when they're fully yeah. developed? Well, that's the fun part. You get to just taste the coffee. Okay. Yeah. You so, mean like just taste the bean? No. Yeah. Well, Stephen actually does eat the bean. Okay. And he can taste, tell some things from that, but do the cupping process. Okay. And you can taste the the defects either in the actual bean itself, which we don't have a lot of that because mm -hmm. we're buying the specialty grade. Okay. But um, you can also taste those roasting defects, like if you've underdeveloped it. So if you're tasting one and you say, well, this is underdeveloped, can yeah. you just start the roaster back up on the same batch, or do you toss mm -hmm. that batch and bring a new batch in? Uh, you would want to start with a new batch. Okay. Yeah. You want, no starting you want to put that back in there. Mm -mm. Okay. I, we have, Stephen has actually done it to where he's put the same batch back in, but it was not roasted. You know, it was like an, an error, okay. and he, he did it again. But, yeah, that's not good. Generally, you don't start a stop no, one. Okay. no. Not like putting the steak back on the grill because it's right. Yeah, still that's moving. I've never had that question before. I okay. should ask Stephen if he if we technically could. You know, mm -hmm. I know we don't do that, but technically maybe we could. How have you found the reception in Corpus Christi to Driftwood? Great, great. I mean, just the fact that we're opening a storefront. Sure. I mean, we feel super confident that people are going to come out and support us. Um, there's such a great community of other small businesses and mm -hmm. of, um, you know, entrepreneurs and uh, artists that are ready to support each other. Mm -hmm. And um, 
yeah, so we're, we're really thrilled with the way that people are responding. And they've, I mean, they've brought us this far. Right. We haven't, we haven't gotten here on our own. It's been completely um, just the Lord opening doors and um, people, you know, coming out supporting us. So we're, we're really excited about so from those people. <laughs> that'll be fun <laughs> for sure. Face, yeah. It'll be a lot of fun. It's always good to have that instant feedback from customers, mm-hmm. whether it's, hey, I bought it the other day and yeah. I made it this morning, or when you're doing a cupping in the store, you'll be able to see their reaction right away too, which I'm sure will be nice. Yes. It's so from, very cool. from going from Holly and Fed by Bread and mm-hmm. do some breakfast packages with us to where you are today, where are people still buying subscriptions? Are people mm-hmm. buying off the shelf somewhere? Mm-hmm. How are people buying now? How are people buying Driftwood? Um, we have subscribers still, okay. and they just keep, we keep adding to the list of people that are picking up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have people that randomly buy on the website. Okay. And then we have uh, probably our, we have our farmer's market. So we're at the downtown farmer's market every other week. Okay. And then we're at the Southside farmer's market on those other weeks. Okay. Yeah. I think I can follow we switch, that. <laughs> we switch up. Gotcha. Um, and then we have our wholesale customers, okay. which is one of our favorite parts of what we do um, because we love that kind of partnership mm-hmm. that continues and isn't just like a, here's your coffee buy. Um, it's let's work together. So we started our sale, uh, equipment sales and service, um, about a year ago. Okay. So we sell equipment to restaurants and coffee shops. We service the equipment. We mm-hmm. do service contracts. Wow. So because we realized that that's what Corpus is ready for mm-hmm. and needs, people are not, they have to call in someone if they have a problem with their espresso machine from Austin or San Antonio, um, and pay their, mm-hmm. you know, gas right. and yeah, everything. Yeah. And it's just crazy, you know, we, we need that here. And so seeing the need and then also enjoying that, the benefit of that continual relationship and getting to work with a team of people and who are serving the public and kind of be the mm-hmm. behind the scenes person is really fun. Sure. It's really great. Do you get a lot of feedback from your wholesale customers? Hey, we are, our wholesale customers are saying that their customers love this particular mm-hmm bean etc or this yes. roast however you yeah present. we stay in in constant okay. contact about how things are being received and and we'll switch things up we'll tweak things mm-hmm. and everybody wants something different oh that's our roaster okay it's getting too hot i'll hit the pause okay well we took a quick break because the roaster was barking at us letting <laughs> us know that it was getting a little overheated how do you that kind of brings up a good question about quality control how right. do you ensure quality control i know that you know, what I can see here sitting in the roastery that you do have this big roaster, but right. the specific quality control, too hot, too cold, with the crazy temperatures in Corpus. Right. How do you ensure, I imagine that all of that impacts the roast itself, how the bean flavor comes out. Yeah. How do you control it all? Yeah, um, I think a big thing is keeping humidity down okay. with the raw beans um, and making sure they get, we roast them quickly. Okay. So we don't keep any raw beans around any longer than a month or so. We go through it really fast. And then we taste what we roast okay. every week. So um, we're brewing our coffee regularly, um, cupping it regularly, mm-hmm. grating it, um, making sure we're, um, Stephen watches the roast curves of the roasters okay. and make sure that they're sticking with the recipe. 
and that, that and also just mm-hmm. staying in constant communication with who's drinking the coffee sure. and trying to troubleshoot you know mm-hmm. where's the problem at is it on our end is it is it you know do we need another training with the baristas to yeah. kind of get everybody back on the same page because there's a lot of variables a lot of you moving bet. parts yeah. and everybody has to kind of come together and be on the same page and that's another huge part of the storefront is you can't just give people coffee and say good luck right you know um you you really need to help train them well and, and you're putting your heart and soul into it too you yeah. want them to get as much of the joy out of the coffee that they're drinking as you're putting into it yeah and just why why buy you know coffee at a higher price point and then not know how to brew it well mm-hmm. you know it, it it's kind of pointless so I feel like you know it's our responsibility to not just give people good coffee, but teach them how to brew it and um, help them to you know maintain that kind of quality throughout you know their mm-hmm. at their restaurant or at home. So, for someone who is brewing their coffee at home, is there mm-hmm. a best way to brew coffee? You know, pour over, drip, right. French press, etc. Uh, I think it's all. Um, very subjective. Okay. I I don't like to be. I don't try to be a coffee snob, um, <laughs> especially because I'm right. a mom of two little ones, sure. and I don't have time to sit there and take ten minutes to brew right. coffee. A pour over is really morning. nice when you have all the time in the world. Yeah, to get it's to great it. on sure. the weekends, but mm-hmm. I have an automated drip, you know, coffee machine that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, it is specialty coffee association certified, so that it's okay. It's sprinkling the grounds correctly, and mm-hmm. and it has a temperature control, so it's not you know um, burning the grounds. Right. Um, and there's no uh, hot plate at the bottom, so it doesn't burn the coffee at the bottom of once it's already mm-hmm. brewed. So there are things you can do to kind of like you know tweak and not um, mess up your brew. And there are there are ways that there are you know bad ways to brew coffee because you're you're burning it or. Mm-hmm. You're not extracting it right, and you're going to get a bitter or an acidic brew. But some people like that, you know. Sure. I mean, some people like the bitter, well done steaks flavor. Yeah, <laughs> yes, they do. And so, I would say, you know, um, and that's where Stephen and I differ a little bit. Okay. You know, he's like there, there is a right way and a wrong way. He's, I don't know if you know Enneagram. He's a one. Okay. So he is like right. We are. There is a right way and a there, wrong way. There's a right way yes. and a wrong way for everything. Yes. And I'm a two, okay. so I'm like I'm, I care more about mm-hmm. my relationship, right, than I do correct anything <laughs> <Yes>. else. So, <laughs> uh-huh. and you know, I just I think it's a journey. Yeah. I think coffee is a journey that we're all on as far as like learning um, what we like, what we need um, out of out of the the plant, and and the most important thing I think is that you're supporting. And you're you're responsibly mm-hmm. using your money, and you're supporting things that aren't oppressing other people. That is one thing I do think is right and wrong. You know, you're either buying your coffee and knowing that it's oppressing, you know, and mm-hmm. supporting slave labor in other countries. Once you know, you know, you have a responsibility to find out, right? You know what's going on, and but that's a journey too because sure. it's overwhelming how many things there are to make choices about mm-hmm. every day, especially as Americans, it's so fast paced. And right. so it's it's a journey, it's a process of, of immersing yourself in learning and when you're ready, when you have some time, figuring out you know how, how this is sourced, um, what are the practices of this company, like Walmart, you know, are you a Walmart person or not? Have you lo- looked into mm-hmm. it? 
do you have time to look into it right now? Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, yes. And what, what I think the heart of the person and of the consumer is what matters is that they're they're they they jump into the journey with us and and with whoever they're buying from. So if a consumer wanted to find out the producing practices and mm -hmm. is it slave labor or is it or is it all women who are producing right. the coffee? How do they learn? Where do they go? Um, they would go to you know their coffee roaster. Okay. They would find out who's roasting their coffee and ask the roaster, you know, what mm -hmm. where are these beans from? What what's going on at this these farms? Um, do you know? Do you even know? You know? And uh, they should be able to to let them know. So it's about backing up okay. to the, the source of where things are coming from, I think. And um, and trying to make good decisions based on your research. You know, so mm -hmm. that you're you're being um, you're using your, your money to bless people and not, you know, uh, oppress them. So it sounds like when you do get the storefront open and through your social media, you'll be able to help mm -hmm. continue educating your customers on where their beans are coming from. Right. Definitely. So in addition to opening the storefront, what else are you excited about coming up in Corpus? Anything in particular? Yeah, I am I'm excited about the all the stuff going on downtown. Mm -hmm. um, I love our new festivals and just all the kid activities, stuff mm -hmm. with kids. Having a five and seven year old, I'm always looking for ways to um, have fun with them and not just take them to a place where it's just for kids or take them to a place where it's just for me. I love this new emphasis on festivals and things mm -hmm. where there's something for everybody and as a family and as a, a city, we can come together and enjoy time outside and celebrating things together. So I, I feel like Corpus's people are pushing for more mm -hmm. and more of that. Well, and that kind of fits in with your your attitude about opening up the storefront is, mm -hmm. is another opportunity to build community. Yes. Definitely. When will the storefront be open? Uh, next month, this summer. Okay. So May is the goal, if not May, early June. So. Where do we go to make sure we know when it opens? Uh, Instagram and Facebook, okay. but mostly Instagram. I like it. What's your Instagram handle? Uh, Driftwood Coffee Co. That reminds me, where did the name Driftwood come from? So we start, we rebranded because, you know, that one night name we came up with was right. not great. What was it? <laughs> It was fair and fresh coffee. Fair and fresh, okay. Yes, I like it. Yeah, a little literary. Driftwood has a, a good ring to it too. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So we we knew you know that wasn't going to be forever, but we didn't know if it was going to be a forever business. So when we started our wholesale end, mm -hmm. we were also in the process of moving, buying a new house. Okay. Uh, buying our first house um, as a family, and uh, we had two kids. We were looking for it to buy our first house and uh, this house came for sale and one of the requirements for our house was that there was a, a garage that we could roast in mm -hmm. that could be uh, inspectable because okay. certain things in certain garages don't I mean it would cost so much money to get it mm -hmm. you know um, inspectable so um, when this house when we saw this house for sale and it had the right garage and it's actually on the street I grew up on okay um, driftwood we thought we're let's name our business Driftwood. It's the street we're on, mm -hmm. um, it's coastal. Um, and also I looked into what Driftwood is actually, you know, what, where it comes from. And I love the picture of it, uh, how it, um, it's from, it's created from like storms, like a disaster, okay. mm -hmm. like some sort of 
something has <clears throat> happened and, and trees have fallen into the ocean and, and they've drifted around and, and then they wash up on shore and then they become, um, people use them for art, people mm -hmm. use it, and, and nature uses it as little ecosystems. So right. little creatures find their homes in there and stuff. And so for me, it was just very symbolic of like what we were going through. You know, we were kind of broken, kind of fallen into the sea of where are we going to go? Mm -hmm. And um, we started, you know, finding community again and kind of finding ourselves again. So, so yeah, a community, um, our slogan or what have you is called roasting for community. So we want to support community, be community to people and help other people find their community. And mm -hmm. so um, whether that's globally with the producers or with their coffee, local coffee shop or whatever. So um, yeah, connecting people and Driftwood Connects kind of it's a picture yeah. of connection to me that's a really great metaphor yeah for sure. yeah well thank you so much for coming on the podcast yes. i really appreciate it i've thank enjoyed you for visiting me. It was very really welcome. fun i appreciate it so much randy and driftwood coffee have big plans for cuppings and other fun goings on when they open their new storefront to stay up to date follow at driftwood coffee co on instagram and at dw coffee co on facebook and don't forget to follow us on social, too, at Echo Corpus. Thank you to our infrastructure partners, the Sound Guys, Clint Tucker Homes, and Sawyer Audiology. And thank you for taking time to listen. <laughs>